Hey, that galaxy's signaling is binary. I got a signal back, but I only know enough binary to ask where the bathroom is. You speak English? I do now. What are you, some kind of galactic computer? Possible. I am user-friendly, my good chum. Who built you? I have always been. Oh my god! Are you god? Possible. I do feel compassion for all living things, my good chum. But why would God think in binary? Unless you're not god, but the remains of a computerized space probe that collided with God. That seems probable. So, do you know what I'm going to do before I do it? Yes. What if I do something different? Then I don't know that. Cool, cool. I bet a lot of people pray to you, huh? Yes, but there are so many asking so much. After a while, you just sort of tune it out. a social movement of using science and technology to radically improve and enhance the human being and also just to improve the human being's experience. And that can be anything from uh, bionic arms to robotic hearts. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. We're going to be talking a little transhumanism with Zoltan Istvan a little bit later. The transhumanist presidential nomination for 2016 or no? Just going for a seat. Anyway, it's not as crazy as it sounds because the, the guy actually makes a lot of sense. And we got RPJ joining us. But first, as always, Graham Mackenzie Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? I have no idea what you're talking about. Mackenzie? Bob Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Oh, Bob. <laughs> Take off, eh? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm doing well. Yeah. No, I agree with you about Zoltan and, and the transhumanism chat, right? Like, there is a way to positively spin technology benefiting us right i mean it's it's kind of happening anyway so why not uh yeah it was, that it was a good a one it was a good one he's really he does a really good job of uh kind of laying out laying it out kind of some of the things nobody's really thought about i suppose yeah it's almost like the transhumanist equivalent of like the after disclosure book that was talking about you know the like all the logistics of Admitting there's aliens. Right, right. Uh, what book are we talking about? AD. Oh. Dolan's book. Oh, did, did, did they talk about transhumanism there? No, but kind of like they talked about sort of the logistics of ET disclosure and yeah, Zoltan sure. yeah. kind of equates the logistics of AI or transhumanism, so to speak. Oh, okay. I guess you don't know that yet, though, because you haven't heard it. <laughs> no, but I guess I will. <laughs> so, Red, uh, what's, how you been? What you got for us? Is well, it- you know, having a, something of a, a crappy, a crappy week. Uh, I, I just tried to release finally my my essay about my entheogenic experience i had last december which i discussed with you guys you know on the podcast but uh, i had some problems trying to insert 
images in, into the text, you know, and trying to call Greg to see if he can help me out. Anyway, the text is there, you know, it's, it's kind of a long text, you know, the, over 8,000 words, but well, I hope that some people, those willing to, to, to go over all of that, you know, manage to find it interesting. Nice. So when will it be published? It is published then already? Yeah, it is already up on the on the Daily Grail site. You know, they're on top of the page. Okay, you can so find I'll, I'll link the to title. That yeah, the title is "In Search of the Blue Stack: My First Entheogenic Experience." Yeah, I actually was just looking at that when I was looking at the Connor Habib post. Mm, okay. Did you get the images in then? I want to wait for the pictures. The pictures are kind of like a piece of art with our people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I get, I'm some, such a perfectionist, you know, that I wanted to be just, just the way I wanted to, to but uh, I had some problems with, with the platform or the Daily Grail. And at one point, I just wasn't able to, to insert more images, you know, that are, there are a few that I want to have inside the text you know in order to properly illustrate it but even though you know i think that well i, I i've been working with the text but <laughs> for a couple of months you know I, i'm actually quite proud of it you know i i hope that people will find it interesting you know even though that as as people who have heard the the podcast the podcast already knows you know nothing you know extremely groundbreaking happened to me on that first in a, a psychedelic experience. Yeah. Darren and I were talking about that a little bit afterwards and, and I, it was like, we almost said maybe he was trying to like measure it or quantify it too much, you know, uh, you know, like perhaps m- maybe, maybe you were just trying to set the, uh, s- capture the scene a little bit. Yeah. Maybe I ra- raised the quote unquote bar too high. Yeah, and I actually wrote about that, you know, on this text, you know, that maybe, you know, I wanted the doors of perception to crack open, you know, on my first uh, 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 psychedelic experience. And that that in itself was very arrogant in me. Next time, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, and, uh, and I've been kept being invited by the people who organized this ceremony to 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 join them in in, in other ceremonies uh, i've been unable to 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 go there you know because of my schedule but i'm definitely interested in repeating the experience you know and maybe the next time you know just like Dennis Dennis McKenna with ayahuasca you know maybe the next or the the, the second or, or the third time we'll finally do the trick hmm. what else you got going on what else you got coming up well you know uh, there's been more and more talk about the quote-unquote Roswell slides you know I, I, I don't know if you guys have been following on the news but one of the slides uh, have has allegedly been released online you know has been uh, linked to by some bloggers including Nick Redfern on Mysterious Universe so you can actually go and check it for yourselves right now and you know the, uh, 
it is by f uh, by far you know not not as as unimpressive as I was expecting it to be. You know, it, uh, there are some people who say that the quote-unquote alien is nothing more than some kind of mummified child that maybe the people who took the picture, uh, you know, photographed in some kind of tu tourist exhibition, maybe here in Mexico. You know, here in Mexico we have what we call the uh, Las Momias de Guanajuato, you know, the Momies of Guanajuato, which is, has been a, a very uh, popular tourist attraction for a number of decades. Maybe that's the explanation for it, although, uh, to, uh, in my opinion, it's, it's still inconclusive. But anyway, you know, we can already see that uh, whatever Jaime Maussan and his American partners are going to release next May on the National Auditorium, it's not going to, you know, be like the, the smoking gun end game, you know, final piece of the clue, completely, you know, conclusive that they are, they are hoping it to be. You know, I think that there's, it's just going to be, you know, just, uh, it's going to raise more questions than answers. At best, you know, at worst, it's going to be just, you know, a very unimpressive uh, piece of evidence. Huh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's too well, bad. Well, you'll find out firsthand for us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll be there, you know, next May, you know, for better or for worse, you know. <laughs> at least it will be an experience to be there. Maybe it'll just be like, oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe. So I got some... Uh, oh, speak of Speaking of UFOs, is that what you're saying, Darren? All right. Sure. This is a good one. Profound UFO quote of the week. Air Catalog is a rather extension, extensive library I've been collecting for almost 30 years from commercial, private, and test pilots. I have over 3,000 cases. My estimate is that for every pilot who does come forward and makes a confidential or public report, there are 20 or 30 other pilots who don't. That's a NASA research scientist. NASA? Gemini Apollo Skylab, Dr. Richard Haynes. Uh, Richard Haynes. Yeah. We should come up with a NASA shirt, a Great American NASA shirt. NASA. <laughs> uh, so I got some, uh, thanks Darren for that. I got no some. Uh, I got a little. You say uh, it so negatively. What? What do you mean? Nothing. I got a. I got a uh, <clears throat> major synchronicity here from major. Yeah, well, major. That's what, the, that's what the title is. It's. Uh, <laughs> it's from Holly. Holly D. She's uh, one of our trip. <laughs> Yeah, she's one of our trip reporters out there. Looking forward to another trip report from her now that we have this segment. But this is a bit of a different uh, different vein. Last week was a bit rough for me. I was lying in bed one night and I was thinking of all is the this worries. another depressing synchronicity? No, not really. Because these things have taken a disturbing turn lately. Yeah. It's not as fun as it used to be. Well, this is kind of just building on RPJ's rough week. So she's also had a rough week. 
So she was, she was thinking about all the worries and cares that she currently had. I was praying and thinking, whatever you want to phrase it as, and crying to my dead loved ones, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. I was just asking for their guidance and comfort and to help me through these sad and angry thoughts. Then I realized I needed to change my perspective and continue to be grateful and love thy body because it is your one true home. I actually cried myself to sleep. Background story. My sister was killed by a drunk driver when I was in the fifth grade. So her only survivees were her husband and newborn daughter, seven days old. So this was basically the biggest turning point in my life, grieving the death of my sister. And to this day, I swear to everyone that she is my spirit guide. I have so many occurrences where I see her in the beauty of the world. I know she was always with me. Two days after that night, I cried myself to sleep. I got a text message from my brother-in-law. He said he had a dream about me, that I was sad. And he wanted to let me know he missed me and loved me and hoped I was doing well. I sent him a message and told him how surprised I was to hear about that since I had cried myself to sleep two nights before that. And he texted me back and said that he actually had the dream two nights ago and wasn't able to send me the message right away. He said that in, in his dream, I was lying in my bed. My eyes were filled with tears. I felt only love after that. My sister, I'm pretty sure, guided him to me when I needed it most. I shared all of this with him, and now we are emotional wrecks. So how great of a synchronicity is that? That's pretty awesome if you ask me. Hope you're both doing well and still love the show. Much love and truth your way. Holly D. Is that a synchronicity? Oh, yes. No, I don't think so. It's one of those That's like like a dream precog. Yeah, uh, I think it's something different. It's along the same. It's like a cousin. Synchronicity's cousin. Why? Because it involves a dream? Yeah, and it's not like, uh, it's not a, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's not a meaningful coincidence. Why, it's why an don't actual, you think it's a I think, because I don't think, I think it's something different. I don't think, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's two things that are actually, ha- I think maybe something's actually happening there. Is more, uh, yeah, I think that's more, more likely, I like? think there's more of a connection than a coincidence. I can hear that's, RPGs that's heavy breathing. Some, that's in that, some in other phenomenon. I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, the, 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 using the terms coincidence, I've never been comfortable with it. You know, I mean, uh, I don't believe in coincidences. You know, uh, Carl Jung, I know that he equated synchronicity with quote-unquote meaningful coincidences, but I think that was just in order to try and to, to, to un, under, uh, explaining it to people who, with a materialistic viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I see what Darren's saying. It's almost more of a direct, uh, direct telepathic thing uh, than a synchronicity, right? Yeah, yeah, more of a communication. Tele- telepathic's not even the right word. Okay, the problem is where do we uh, draw the line? It's, maybe you know? it's more of an OBE or a lucid dream OBE. But what if you have a lucid dream and of something that later happens in your life? You know, is that not a synchronicity or what? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's something different that I can't write. Once again, we come to the problem of the limits of language, you know, trying to to lay into into words, you know, and words are nothing to us than, you know, crude, you know, animal grunts that we make with our mouths, you know, and trying to explain with that things that have such a profound resonance in our daily lives. 
I can rate that on the same scale as a snake bite. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it wouldn't be a 9.5, I don't think. Right. Maybe it's an... No, those two, the snake bite was more I, I don't feel comfortable rating those sorts of things. Yeah, it's a little too personal, maybe? Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's my place. Okay. People, maybe if you disagree, you can yeah. let me know. No, well, thanks for the note, Holly. For sure. You want me to rate your super personal stuff? I will, but I feel a little weird about it. Yeah. All righty. So we got some feedback on, uh, on one of the, our older episodes, Thomas Fusco. Mm. Uh, this is from uh, TPF. Yeah, Ed put what? Thomas TPF? P. Fusco. Oh, Thomas P. Fusco. TPF. <laughs> we, we have, <laughs> Darren's been corresponding with Thomas lately. This was an amazing interview. Blows my mind. I read Brian Greens' Greens' Fabric of the Cosmos a couple of years ago. I'm still super amazed and intrigued by the higher science of quantum mechanic physics or QM physics but was left a little high and dry after that book. This interview did more to spark my imagination than the entire book by Green and the elegant universe put before that. So clear the big dogs in physics. Clearly the big dogs in physics are a special kind of genius, but I think so many of our geniuses in science are self-limited to small spheres of possibilities because of the fundamentalism and scientism slash religiosity inside science today. Thomas Fusco freely explores the outer edges of these frontiers others cower from. This dude is a true explorer of the universe and amazes me. By the way, I love this podcast. I'm going through all the old episodes now. I'm posting from the future. The 101st, the 101th episode recently aired. Hope you guys <laughs> are, hope you guys keep up the good work for a lot longer. So thanks uh, for the comment there. That's uh, Skepter. Good old TPF. Always amazes me when people are listening to stuff a long time ago. That's yeah. the beauty of a podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's the point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the point. point. That's the difference between this and like internet radio or all these other uh, forums, right? This is like on demand whenever you want it. But if you want to see Tom, go to Paradigm Symposium 2015 and he'll be, he'll be out there for sure. And I heard he just started up his own podcast too. Oh sure, really? I think he's yeah. I think he's starting on Intrepid Paradigm Radio. Ah, okay. But I don't Need know if check they're that podcasting out. yet. Are they pot- releasing this podcast yet? Uh oh. Well, no, probably not. Yeah, I think there's a there's a problem there. Um, but yeah, definitely get into some personal discussions with Thomas. It'll be it'll get pretty interesting. Keep mm-hmm. your head up. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your head up. That's all I'll say. Right on, buddy. Well, that's about all I got. That's it. Keep yeah. it short and sweet. You got yeah. anything else, RPJ? Uh, it is like the interview tonight went long with Connor. It was a great chat. That'll come out in yeah, probably two it was weeks. A good trivia. Uh, let me see. Uh, did you guys check something about Frank Drake saying that it will be silly to message Alien Life today? Uh, no. Frank Drake yeah, was, of the Drake Equation? Exactly. The guy who started with Carl Sagan, the whole SETI, the SETI project. I no. think that there was some kind of conference about uh, SETI and trying to message, you know, the, 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 this new idea of uh, uh, active SETI, you know, trying to 
actually send a message to aliens, whatever alien intelligences could be out there. And I think that uh, Frank was Frank Drake was kind of skeptic about it, you know, said that it would be right now for our current state of development, it would be a, a waste of time and effort, you know. Because this we can't is something do that or communicate anyway. No, well, this is something that I and I posted about it. Let, let, so let me uh, write, uh, read from it. So, according to Drake, we should focus our resources on exploring and utilizing our own solar system, as intelligent species wouldn't be tra- traveling between the stars. Why is that? Moving between stars is cost prohibitive. He went on to say that a hundred-year space flight to a nearby star at one-tenth the speed of light, the the fastest tolerable to the human body, would require the equivalent of the full power output of the United States for 200 years. And that doesn't include the power needed to stop or land. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that he things that uh, i don't know for from what i'm trying to in- understand from from this is that frank drake thinks that uh aliens are using tra- earth technology no that well that traveling between the stars is kind of silly or or or, or and a very uh, stupid uh, waste of energy for alien civilizations. And I am not sure I can agree with that. You know, I think that maybe he's uh, coming with that assessment from a very uh, anthropocentric point of view. Oh, you know, yeah. surely, yes, it is. Uh, you need a whole lot of am- amount of ener- energy to go from one star system to another, but that doesn't mean that some very advanced alien civilization would be able to 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 find some kind of uh, alternative energy system that would allow them to do just that. I think he's been hanging out with Stephen Hawking too much, and Hawking's been telling him he's it's it's too dangerous, and he's saying it's impossible. Yeah, and I'm reminded of the argument of Michio Kaku, you know, of thinking about the class one uh, civilization, you know, the ones that are are able to harness the energy of their whole solar system, you know, and a class two civilization will be able to harness the energy of their whole galaxy. You know, imagine using the energy of, all the stars in, your, in in a single galaxy, you know what I mean? Well, not That's, only that, but there's there's obviously, uh, you know, he's talking about gravity, you know, being able to only move so fast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all the all the obviously the gravitational things that would be different if you're traveling between the stars, and plus, who knows about wormholes and and black holes and other ways to to shortcut through star yeah, systems? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, with all due respect to Mr. Frank Drake, I think that his argument right now will will be seen as silly to our, you know, to our children as was the the argument of people who thought that you couldn't be able to build uh, uh higher than 
an airplane, you know, that is, you know, that is not light, lighter than air. That's what I was going to say, like, uh, 200 years ago, flying was impossible. Yeah, exactly. You know, people thought, yeah, and people thought that, you know, going beyond, beyond 60 miles per hour, you know, if you Debatable. went beyond that speed, you know, your your brains would you scrambled on uh, on top uh, on your skull or something. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think I think it's not really a very valid argument that Mr. Frank Drake has put there. That's not to say that I I, I fully endorse SETI. You know, I think that's uh, yeah. There's, there's room for both, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem with SETI is that they are they are limiting themselves to to a ver- such a narrow way to trying to find intelligent intelligence out there in the universe. You know, thinking, oh, so alien like a SETI bomb that just goes out like past the moon and just explodes with like a shockwave of message in every direction. No. No, I keep remembering what Terence McKenna used to say about SETI. You know, to trying to find uh, another alien's intelligence who will be using radio technology elsewhere in the universe will be try- like trying to find uh, a good Italian restaurant, <laughs> you know, outside of Earth or something like that. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, you get the idea that we assume that other intelligences in the universe will surely will have to follow the same path as we have done in heaven or on earth. And to me, that's, that's a very arrogant assumption. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's what we do best. Yeah, exactly. Arrogant assumptions. Mm -hmm. Mm. Arrogant assumptionists. Can't they use the infrastructure to start measuring different things besides radio waves? Like, couldn't they expand their, broaden their search a little bit? Like what? Yeah, it's probably some sort of wave we don't even know about. Yeah, like maybe consciousness waves, for example. I remember that uh, Micah included in his book, Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule, something about uh, some scientist that was using plants because he thought plants were better sensors to 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 that will pick up uh, transmissions from an alien intelligence huh you know living organisms instead of you know uh, satellite re- yeah. Ex- exactly yeah that's interesting there you go yeah there you go yeah so before we jump into a Zoltan read, any quick thoughts on transhumanism? Ah, transhumanism, you know, still going back and forth, you know. To me, it's a love-hate relation, relationship with the whole concept. I saw uh, the movie AI with, uh, by, directed by Stephen Spielberg uh, some days ago, and I still love that movie, you know, the idea that Maybe we humans, our whole role is to try to 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 create our descendants, you know, our artificial intelligence descendants who will be able to 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 pick up where we left and and and, and explore the universe. And yet, at the same time, I'm still not fully bought on the whole idea because I feel that the the proponents of that. Concept, you know, Ray Kurzweil and all those, 
I feel that those guys are proposing that for the wrong reasons. I feel that the guy, the, these guys are just afraid to die. You know, they're they, they're afraid of their own mortality. Huh. So do you think you think if uh, if we realize that life after death was a possibility, that might change some of that? Exactly. If we had uncontrovertible proof that our existence will extend beyond our physical death, maybe people will not be so hard-pressed on trying to, to stay in this level of existence. Some people would say we have that proof. But most Yeah, wouldn't. sure. Yeah, exactly. And we're still... We're still in the uphill, in the uphill battle. You know, we still haven't man- managed to 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 change the current paradigm. Yeah, in the one hour at a time, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Right on. All right, Red. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Enjoy the chat with Istvan. We will take care of all the housekeeping in the outro. Um, yeah, just support the show, ad free, listener supported. Thank you, Red, and uh, enjoy the chat, guys. Okay, guys, in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be chatting with Zoltan Istvan uh, about transhumanism and all sorts of, all the fun things that go along with that, I suppose. Uh, we have, I don't think, is this our first, like we did the UFO singularity with Mike and Hanks, but is this our first actual pullout Tran- transhumanism? kind of thing? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. And of course, we couldn't have anybody better on. Uh, to talk about it than Zoltan Isvan, who's got like a, a crazy bio. The guy's traveled over a hundred countries, almost as many countries as Grey America's reached. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's been uh, in and he's, uh, he was a journalist for the National Geographic Channel and he's been on TV. He's been a, he's a director of Wild Aid. He's ran some businesses himself. He's starting up a political party called the Transhumanist Party. He's an author written, the transhumanist wager. He's been surfing down volcanoes and sailing around the world. This guy, I'm sure I've missed a bunch of stuff, but what a fascinating guy to talk to. So we're happy to have you on to to speculate about the future of technology and politics and a bunch of other stuff. So welcome to Grimerica. Hey, thanks you guys for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's uh, you've got quite the the fascinating, uh, you've done a lot of shit, man. 
So well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like a lot, but I, I'm 41, so uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's. I guess it's packed, been packed in. A lot of the good stuff was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's great. I mean, because you know, you can tell. I heard you on a on a podcast, and I could just tell by how eloquent you were about stuff and how experienced. You've know, you've got a lot of different experiences, and you've got a pretty well balanced look at things. Like even though you're, you know, you're kind of a transhumanist at heart, it seems like you're open to other people's ideas, and you've got a a pretty good balanced view. So I guess uh, I don't know where do you want to start, Darren? Do you want to start with uh, maybe? Uh, do you think most of our listeners should know what we're talking about when we're talking about transhumanism? You know what? Let's start with a definition of that kind of. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point, Darren, because you know, some people don't really, you know, they could get the wrong idea. So what? let's define that. Sure. Well, I'd love to define it for you. You know, it's, it's, it seems a little fringe and a little bit weird, but honestly, it's a pretty basic thing. Basically, the, the Latin version of uh, transhumanism just means beyond human. But what it really is, is the movement of using science and technology, a social movement of using science and technology to radically improve and enhance the human being, and also just to improve the human being's experience. And that can be anything from uh, bionic arms to robotic hearts to um, you know driverless cars, if you want to consider it that way. But either way, we're just very supportive of science and technology to, uh, to change human life. So I suppose even like the iPhone is like a kind of an almost an extension like the iphone's kind of an analog version of transhumanism already like having the the world at your fingertips no indeed it is and you know it, it, it there, a lot of transhumanists will say well where's the distinction when when does something become transhuman have we actually entered into the transhumanist age and i usually just say you know the the age of robotic hearts or bionics is sort of very transhumanist however um you know i, I suppose any technology and certainly the iPhone has been such a revolutionary kind of, uh, I have one, um, such a revolutionary piece of technology that has kind of got us all glued to our phones and using all sorts of uh, different apps and doing all sorts of things that it's easily a, a transhumanist endeavor. And, you know, what's what's interesting to speculate on is where will the iPhone be in five or 10 years? Well, a lot of experts seem to think that if we can get um, brain chips or headsets uh, like they already have uh, kind of using iPhone technology or using the technology of smartphones, we might have a lot of that stuff embedded directly, at least on our skull or inside our heads, where we'll have access immediately to that. We won't have any more wires. We won't have any more uh, kind of devices. Everything will just be already uh, a part of us. It's really just a matter of getting uh, the brainwaves, the algorithms, and all sorts of stuff like that tied together. They've already done telepathy this last year. So th they've already started this process of connecting computers with thoughts um, via brainwave technology. Wow. Yeah, that's why we should get into that a little bit more later. But I guess when you go and talk about transhumanism as well as a definition, I guess that could even go back really far. I mean, and when even when, when guys created like the wheel or fire or whatever, that was all technology based to a certain point, right? I mean, having to come up with stone tools and, and stuff like that. So I think it's been sort of happening all along, That's right? Just now tech. it's like, now it's like just exponentially growing. Right? Yeah, no, indeed. I mean, I, I suppose any, you know, a lot of people say that what transhumanism is, is when you have taken whatever is natural out of the picture, especially for the human being, whatever is natural and made it something unnatural, you know, again, even uh, building an axe out of a stone is something that's, uh, you know, 
you haven't seen very many other mammals uh, even do anything remotely similar. Uh, but especially when you start controlling fire and and using that to cook your food in a pot that you may have made or something like that. I mean, you you cross into that line of well, where natural, you know, the ca- the the caveman scenario is kind of gone. You you've entered into this other era where uh, man is now using uh, humans are now using science and technology to improve themselves and to make their lives easier. And you know, that's just an avalanche because. That's, uh, you know, fast forward a couple thousand years and uh, here we are in the 21st century when, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, we all fly on jet airplanes and don't even think about it when we're 30,000 feet up in the air. It's just become kind of commonplace. Yeah. And really most of that has happened in the last 150. Yeah. Less yeah. than that. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and it's just an exponential uh, J curve. Uh, if you go out even 10, 20, 30 years it's amazing how much uh, the species will likely change um, given the proper environment, assuming there's no world, you know, third world war, or assuming that um, uh, uh, Congress or some type of government doesn't stop a lot of this happening for maybe religious reasons or whatever. Uh, we're going to be a very changed species within 25 years. I- I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say we're not going to be recognizable to ourselves, but I think in uh, the iPhone is how dramatic the iPhone was in the last five years is nothing to how some of the new technologies are going to change our lives in the next 10 or 15 years. And every five, 10 years, it just gets that much more complex. And, uh, and I would just say radical. I mean, we're going to really be having um, all sorts of technology things, you know, literally embedded into our existence that make life a lot easier. But if you look back historically, you're going to be like, wow. We really didn't understand how fast we were moving. Hmm. Do you want to talk about a couple of your, your, the things that kind of resonate with you? A couple of your favorite new technologies. I heard you talk a little bit about like the telepathy stuff, uh, how soon we'll be reading each other's minds. Is there anything else that you think is really leading edge that people aren't really aware of? Well, sure. I think the one thing that, you know, I, I like this, especially kind of, I'm this aspiring politician, the uh, founder <laughs> yeah. of the, the transhumanist party. I like to talk about things that people can relate to. And, um, you know, one of the most the brightest things on the horizon for technology, science, and medicine is the um, the robotic heart or the artificial heart. They've recently put the second robotic heart into a patient in France, and they've been they've had robotic hearts for the last ten years. But what has happened in the past is that robotic hearts were just temporary replacements until they found a transplant, another organ that could be um, you know put into somebody. But now they're actually building robotic hearts that are permanent replacements of the real heart, and uh, some people are speculating, including myself, that within 10 years, the robotic heart will be so improved that it will be the equivalent of the uh, heart of an Olympian, for example. And, um, you know, heart disease is the number one killer in America, number one killer around the world. If we could get a robotic heart that is affordable, that people could do electively, we could, you know, as far as a surgery, we could literally wipe out the number one killer on the planet. Now that is uh, that is classic transhumanist technology, and that is something that could literally save you know millions and millions of lives um, over just even a period of a few years. So this is a this is one of the technologies that I'm really uh, promoting. And as a politician, I would just if I had if I was for example elected, I would literally take money away from bombs that we spend in defense and put it into the robotic heart, into other technologies like that that can literally save lives uh, and extend lives. And, uh, and make it so that families don't have to be torn apart by death 
and in other tragedies. My father's had a couple heart attacks, so I'm uh, pretty big on the on <laughs> the robotic heart myself. Yeah, there must be other other organs coming too. Eh? My uncle actually had a double. He's had a double lung transplant. Right? We talked about yeah, that. Uncle Dave. Of, yeah, Uncle Dave. Yeah, and uh, I guess they're working on all, all the organs, really. Eh? No, a hundred percent. And what's amazing is, you know, the I wrote an article about this for Singularity University has this uh, website called Singularity Hub. And I wrote an article about the race to create the best type of organ because ah. there's different types of ways of replacing organs. You can improve them. You can outright replace them as in the case of the robotic heart. Or you can also kind of like halfway replace them or something like that. Stem cells is one of the brightest technologies in medicine right now. And uh, they have been just doing a bunch of trials right now where they're both injecting stem cells into people's eyes and stem cells into people that have just had heart attacks. And the results so far are, are incredible. Um, people that get stem cells put into their hearts, right, you know, within a, within a few days of them having a heart attack, have a, like a 38% better recovery than someone who didn't have it. So it's possible that we might be able to use stem cells for everything that we wouldn't even need robotic hearts. But, you know, the, the bottom line, though, is with artificial stuff, there, you know, like robotic hearts, as I, I discussed this in one of my articles, you know, you can put a robotic heart in yourself and then you can have it on your, you can control it on your iPhone. So if you want to sleep, you <laughs> slow down your heart. But if you want to have really hot sex, you speed it up. Or if you want to go surfing 100 foot waves, you speed it up. You know, there are things you can do just, you know, by, because all these organs that we're talking about when they're artificial, they're robotic are going to be controlled by some type of software, some type of Wi-Fi signal, some type of uh, kind of system like that. And we're going to have the ability to uh, to monitor them and also to change how they operate. And if they start operating slow, you know, slowly we can make them faster or whatever. But this is, uh, this is the future where every single organ inside you is going to be optimized so that if you're going to go running a marathon, you're going to, you're going to run a faster marathon. Hmm. So stick it with the, I wonder if that's like how shit was before. Um, <coughs> like if you, if you, if you subscribe to get a little off topic, if you subscribe to the, like a uh, Atlantean civilization sort of thing. And you, you know, you think, talk here like biblical numbers and all sorts of different, um, about the age of people, about the age of people living to be a thousand and shit like that. Like, I wonder if that golden age was some sort of lost technology. Like they were at the pinnacle of where we're going to be in 50 years and they just got fucking wiped out by an asteroid or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it seems like we'll be able to do this shit well before we could protect ourselves from, shit from, from space. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, we, you know, one of the things that I'm really also as a transhumanist promoting is, is some of the real existential risks. I find it uh, amazing that we still have 25,000 armed nuclear weapons on the planet, literally <laughs> enough to blow the planet up and move it out of its uh, its axis of moving around the sun. So, I mean, literally all life would be gone. Um, it, it, and it's amazing that we allow some of these things or that we don't, you know, we spend just a, you know, a very small amount on watching asteroids which historically, you know, it's been proven, um, species have disappeared from it. You would think we'd be spending billions on it. So there's some massive existential risks out there. And uh, one of our three main arguments for the transhumanist party, our three main kind of policies, is to try to uh, give some type of guidance for those existential risks. Because the last thing we need is the civilization to have arrived so far Worked so hard after so many, you know, so many world wars and so many crazy things and a lot of tragedy. And finally, we can, might be able to create a utopian existence where everyone can live sort of indefinitely and families can stay together and, 
you know, we can overcome death and all these things. And then we have some crazy existential thing wipe us out like Ebola or, um, or something of that nature. It's like, why don't we just spend the 50 million and take out Ebola? You know, like we've done with a whole bunch of other diseases. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing that I feel like the human race, it, they deal with, you know, social security and welfare and, and a man, million other things that they will debate endlessly, endlessly. And, um, and I, you know, obviously those are worthwhile conversations, but the bottom line is, uh, wouldn't it be nice to occasionally just dedicate a hundred million dollars to, uh, wiping out, uh, eradicating some type of disease that all of us are actually worried about? I mean, if we took a trillion dollars, we could wipe out 10 diseases. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I think like, I don't know, like, I don't know enough about it or, or how much truth is there, but I see, I see, you see all sorts of those stats out there that like like a quarter of the military budget of the U S could eliminate world hunger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the, the budget of the United States defense is crazy. So it's approximately 20, 22%. And the, the amount of just, so you know, the amount of money going into science, all of science is around in America is 2%, 2%. So, you know, I mean, 2% versus 20%. It's not even, and now we're just talking, 2% is the science and medicine and all these other things. When you actually get into the kind of money that's going to some of these diseases, it gets into, it gets fractional, you know? And uh, when you talk about life extension science, which, you know, the transhumanism, I'd say the number one goal of transhumanists is that we're trying to overcome human death. We'd like to stop aging, uh, potentially reverse aging, and, uh, and make it so that we don't have to uh, kind of live under the specter of death always sort of haunting us, whether it's a car accident on the freeway or whether it's cancer or something like that. Mm. So that's transhumanist main goal. And um, the amount of money that actually goes into the life extension science field from the United States government is literally 0. 0.000. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's so small when you compare it to something like defense. You know, we spent, I think, something like four or five, six um, trillion dollars on the Iraq war. And, you know, if you just took 15% of that, you would wipe out human mortality for the entire population of the planet. If you just could take a trillion dollars and put it into, uh, science, probably within one decade, a lot of experts think this within one decade, we would be able to stop aging and reverse aging. We've already had success in a lot of experiments with mice and stuff with this, but unfortunately, it, it, it's just, it's too small. There's only a couple universities that have the budgets to actually work with this stuff. But if we put real money into it, we might have a hundred universities or a hundred laboratories working on it. And of course, everyone would kind of cooperate, work together. And very quickly, we would find a way around human death so that whether it was your mom or your dad or your child or yourself, we'd be able to take care of this thing that kind of haunts us all. Hmm. And, uh, but you know, we don't do that. We kind of, Go to Afghanistan, and Iraq, and I'm not, I'm not against you know America or anything uh, defense or anything like that. I'm actually you know I realize it's an, a necessary kind of thing that has to happen, but I just feel like twenty percent versus two percent for science and medicine in America that is that is a figure that needs to change dramatically. Well, even the two percent is probably how much of that is not even real science development, but it's like science, but with an agenda already. You know, you know, propping up some already inflated industry that's actually harming people and not helping them. Of course, of course. And that, you know, if you just took out bureaucracy and some of the other stuff in it, you'd, you'd probably even get to a number that's far less. So it's really just about, you know, again, as this presidential candidate of the transhumanist party, I'm, I'm trying to 
uh, you know, I'm not going to win or anything like that, but I'm trying to tell people we can do a lot better. We can do a lot better, not just for the health and the well-being of ourselves, but we can do a lot better for the species itself. And that's something that's actually very honorable and, and kind of monumental in terms of history. Um, but it, it doesn't involve, you know, bombing a lot of small countries that most of us will never go to. And it doesn't involve keeping the industrial, the military industrial complex so active. It just means that we have to start thinking, well, you know, we're on the verge of becoming this incredible civilization of science and technology. You know, let's go with it and put more of our resources into it. And, uh, and everyone's going to wake up one day and say, wow, half the, uh, half the tragedies and uh, the horrors that uh, eventually all of us have to go through have been wiped out. Do we have to go through a few steps to get there? Like, do we have to figure out a, a better way to feed ourselves and feed the planet before we can start extending our lives? Or is this something like, I mean, obviously it's going to start, start with the richest of the rich in the, in the, in the richer countries. And then, you know, the people in the West are obviously going to have it before it trickles down to, you know, the poorer parts of the world, like, or is it going to stop somewhere? Well, so, you know, in, in, one one thing you brought up, two of the biggest concerns about transhumanism, and I think most transhumanists share those concerns because I think most transhumanists are not the super rich. I'm certainly not the super rich. Um, there's both the environmental concern um, and there's also the uh, the concern that the elite uh, will get it all first and maybe they'll take advantage of the rest of us. You know, so I, I try to answer the environmental first, environmental question first. I'm I'm a believer in global warming. I'm a believer that we do have actual problems on planet Earth that are being caused by human beings. Um, and um, the way around that is not to stop development or to slow down capitalism or some of these ideas. The, the way around that is to try to spend more of our energy and resources um, on developing technologies that are environmentally friendly and green. And you're actually just starting to see this. You know, I think five years ago, everyone was pretty skeptical about solar uh, panels and solar, uh, the, the whole entire solar industry, mm -hmm. but very quickly it's starting to creep up, you know, like, it, and every year it, it, the soul, the amount of uh, wattage that comes from a solar panel catches up on oil and on the amount of power that comes out. And, you know, in seven, 10 years, you might reach an equilibrium, but whatever happens by 2030, the oil industry is not going to be the most productive way to do it. It's going to be either wind power or solar industry. So the key is really just to say, make a commitment to ourselves and say, you know, we, we have to spend some resources up front in order to help the planet. And we have to do that on a massive scale. And the same thing with feeding ourselves. We need to spend technologies, technology and resources on, on improving the way we feed ourselves. We can't just have a, a, a system where we cut down all the rainforest and let the cattle graze. We either need to come up with kind of meatless meat, which is a, a huge industry that's developing right now, and other types of food that just don't take as many resources away from the people and destroy the planet. And, you know, I guess the second part of that question, um, and again, these, uh, these are both the biggest uh, qualms I kind of ha people have with transhumanism is that the elite will take the technology and that the environment will be destroyed because everyone will live forever and you'll have a you know way overpopulated planet. But I don't actually believe that a lot of the elite, the elite living these days, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Bill Gates, um, the Ellen, the Ellen 
uh, Musk, they, they will be the kinds of people that are going to take that technology and run with it. Do they God. have, hmm. you know, they, they, they're just not the Rockefellers. They're just not out into, you can't enslave someone on Facebook and try to make a dollar off it. If you did that, everyone would leave Facebook. So you have to play the card where you're a humanitarian, a nice guy, and those kind of things. And I, I actually believe that, um, you know, Bill Gates is a pretty good example. Everyone, may, you know, other people may think bad things about him, but he really is spending a huge amount of his money on trying to help the world. And I think more and more uh, billionaires that are kind of from the new technology are going to be doing that. So I don't think those are the types of people that are going to say, hey, well, let's take this technology first. I think what's going to happen is, yes, the rich will get it first, as they always do. But there'll be a trickle-down effect. And even you can see with cell phones. You find cell phones in, in mud hut villages in Africa. They don't have water, but they have cell phones and little solar panels to run them. And um, that's how technology has trickled down. And I'm hoping that all transhumanist technology will also trickle down like that. Because I don't think society needs to become this uh, great dystopian conflict where the rich rule and the poor are super poor. I think it, it'd be better off if everyone um, could kind of reach a sort of equilibrium where we could all uh you know benefit from what has happened to the human species via technology huh. it's gonna be hard to slow that train down because it's already kind of it's really almost going towards that breakaway civilization like the rich and and the rest of us but <clears throat> some people would even say there already is a breakaway civilization that's got exotic technology out there and i mean who knows maybe they are already uh incorporating transhumanistic that's you know, the first things that we don't even know about. That's the first time I've thought of a changing of the guard and the elites. Though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's it's like an the new guard concept, right? yeah. but it's. I think it's still, if you know, what, maybe a decade off. Like I wonder at the top I level, there, if in like twenty, thirty years, you'll see a difference. As, yeah, 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 because they're not like for the old guard, the Rockefeller, that whole like you know. The whole banking bankster class of elite, you know, these guys are kind of more or they like are. technical. Or they are, and they're just getting better at it. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but isn't there, it's, it is ironic though, eh, Zoltan, that the more we develop technology and the more we rely upon it, almost the more delicate we become as a society. Like if, if we went another 10 years and we're fully reliant on our technology and electronics and stuff like that. And then we have a Carrington event or something, you know, along those lines. I think we are uh, already almost are. Yeah. Like what's like We're almost more delicate as we move along. We're almost become more delicate to that existential threat. Almost sapien domesticus. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and that is a worry. And I actually worry about that too. I, I subscribe to quite a few libertarian types of ideas and, um, especially they come out in my novel, the transhumanist wager. And, uh, I don't like the idea that I could easily be overcome or, you know, uh, manipulated or enslaved just because I have subscribed to a bunch of technologies. And, you know, so I, I think hopefully we will continue in a kind of I'm not like overtly supportive of the capitalistic system. Right. But I think ultimately, if someone can make some money on protecting me, then they're going to do it. And I'm relying on those people that, um, you know, instead of, there might be a company out there that wants to enslave me and send, you know, me advertisements all day long through a mind chip that I put into my head. But I'm hoping there'll always be someone out there that will also be able to sell some type of like anti-hacking tool or antivirus tool. And, um, and so far, that's sort of how capitalism has made the world move forward is that in case something was stupid, 
um, or in case not necessarily stupid, but in case something was sort of like um, authoritarian of some sort, there was always a way out. Um, and uh, th- because there was another person who came up with an idea that said, well, let me make it freer for you, or let me make it so that you can find the, the, the joys or happiness that you want out of technology and not feel like you're enslaved to it. So I'm hopeful that there will always be, you know, in Silicon Valley, where I spend a lot of time in, I live in the Bay Area, and I, I do meet with a lot of uh, um, CEOs, and I do meet with a lot of people at various tech companies. I write three national blogs, Psychology Today, uh, Vice's Motherboard, and the Huffington Post. So I do a lot of interviews, and I do a lot of stories on these people, and they're always coming up with crazy ideas, and they're always trying to outdo each other. So the good news is this competitive environment always makes it so that in case one person actually tried to, like Microsoft, tried to dominate the world, um, there's other people that slow that emerge and that offer you something else. And, uh, you know, while monopolies can happen, and that's when bad things can, you know, people can take over because they have a monopoly, um, there's so much innovation happening that it, it could only last a little bit before the next cool thing comes in. Hmm. So uh, I'm hopeful that we will get to society when we have so much opportunity and so much available to us um, that we won't necessarily have to worry about, you know, being enslaved by the choice of technology that we, we take. I mean, I'm hopeful again, this is optimism and I'm, that's why part of why I'm a transhumanist, but, uh, you know, um, I, I do believe that we'll always be able to find a way as long as people have the freedom to create new businesses and new types of technology. Huh. I wonder if you'd like people who aren't super tech savvy get it, or if you're like, drunk and you accidentally click that link in your email that you're not supposed to and also instead of just getting a virus you get a deal it's just like bam you're a fucking drone just <laughs> just start walking to idaho work on the servers on the servers yeah no i gotta say my iphone has improved my life dramatically i'm addicted to it it really has though i mean i was just looking at we were talking about apple's profits today because it's it's insane how they're doing it, eh? they're like 8.5 billion net profit last quarter in uh, in 2014 like that's uh that's pretty insane and you know they they were always behind microsoft and all that so it's interesting how that competition does does happen you'd think they'd be able to start making their product at home then and pay in fair wages yeah exactly yeah no kidding well so, you know and there and there we go you know in another technology that's come up the 3d printer you know th- this is this is a totally bizarre technology that came out about a year and a half ago and literally might devastate the landscape of so many different environments because you might be able to create the technology that would, for example, go into your head, a chip implant or a bionic arm or whatever it is, and you would be able to set it so that nobody could interfere with that. You know what I mean? Because you were controlling the uh, materialism that you're actually putting into yourself or using around your life. And there might be able to, you know, there'd probably be a function to create an iPhone that absolutely is uh, you know, no one can break into it. And, and only you know the complete codes and you write the software. I mean, so there's a whole future coming because people are so worried uh, about the thing you're speaking of, about, you know, um, using technology in some type of evil way instead of some type of way that's supposed to make us freer. So I, I'm, you know, historically speaking, technology has made us freer. And I'm going to kind of go with hopefully the historical roots and say, well, I think in the future, it'll probably continue to do that. Um, but you know, I think transhumanists are as skeptical as anyone regarding, they may be totally pro technology, but I hear it all the time, how they are worried about, uh, surveillance, how they're worried about people hacking into the, you know, the things that they're developing. So they're a pretty paranoid bunch when it comes to, uh, 
you know, people taking over them because, you know, they've spent an entire, their entire time promoting this technology so they could have more power and freedom. So I think they're going to be pretty careful to try to make sure that the technology they develop is something that is useful and not enslaving. I should say a disclaimer that I make that comment about Apple with three Apple products within three feet of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it brings the show. See, I think, you know, how you people know what, come down that's on... That's an interesting concept because if, I mean, if it's integrated enough, it could be to the point where like your password is you hit a button and it plays a song and it's like your neural reaction to it, right? And that might be fucking totally unique. Wow, that's interesting. Or something or a sequence of memories. But like you would think there's, that would could be like a song to you. You pick a song and there's, I mean, the chances that someone else's neural whatever... I mean, there's got to be some sort of constant, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Or it could just know that you're holding it and your biofeedback rhythm is completely different than anybody else's. It's like your your electromagnetic spectrum. But you got to get the good one, not the Tijuana job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if people come down on the on the cell phones and the iPhones and all that, but I think that people, even though they've got their head down and they're in these devices constantly, I think they're doing it because we're social creatures and really what they're doing is just being social. It's just easier to be social through this electronic environment. It's just, you know, there's probably less person to person, but people are really well more connected. And I think that's a good thing. I like to think of it that way. No. And, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, I know there's some downsides of social media and some downsides of having this much connectivity. I actually wonder if the balance is good as it is. Right. Um, it might be nice. that We all had a kind of like a sh- shutdown on the, on the online time. Because sometimes I simply live, I wake up in the morning and I check my phone right away. I get a ton of messages. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with this digital world and I don't want to be obsessed with it. It just happens to be my line of work. But, um, you know, the fact is that I am more connected socially. Not only am I more connected socially, the diversity of who I'm connected with is astronomical compared to who I might have been connected with without the iPhone or without um internet access or some of the other technologies that have come down in the last 10, 15, 20 years. I feel, uh, I feel like, uh, I am interacting with, uh, it, it's almost like traveling. I had constantly am in touch with everyone everywhere. And, uh, and they're telling me about their days and the weather. And I'm like, Oh, how's the, how's the weather in Bangkok, you know, or how's the weather in Shanghai? So th- there's a, there's a lot of weird stuff that comes to that. And I feel more connected than ever. In fact, I feel a little bit too connected sometimes. Sometimes it's, I, uh, turn off the ringer, turn off the phone and, uh, and just, uh, you know, enjoy a glass of scotch and say, you know, nope. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's the biggest challenge is trying to stay, uh, healthy mentally away from the, uh, constant intrusion or a constant, uh, you know, uh, I guess just, um, yeah, interaction with, with, with so many people. It, it's made it great because it grows us and we become more diverse, but yeah, it can also be a pretty big, a pretty busy world. So, so Zoltan in the, in the transhumanist community, um, you know, what do you guys think about, or how is this treated as a subject? I mean, I know we talked about telepathy and stuff like that, but there's a lot of science going on that's showing consciousness is not, you know, part of our physical brain and it's still not really mainstream, but there's a lot of different things you can look at in studies that show it's kind of a separate phenomenon that our brain might be more of a receiver, you know, than, than, uh, just a ball of meat that's calculating everything. So do you guys take, how do you take that consciousness into account when transhumanism, I mean, I know that they talk about, you know, uploading consciousness and stuff like that, but is that, something that's addressed or talked about a lot? 
So, you know, you bring up an incredibly good question. I think one one thing that's happened in the last few years is if anyone really thought they knew anything because of certain breakthroughs in physics and certain breakthroughs in technology, I think they've sort of given up on a lot of it. The idea of quantum uh, architecture uh, or quantum understanding has really thrown a lot of even scientists for a loop. Uh, one of the main characters in my novel, The Transfuse Wager, is Zoe Bach, and she keeps telling this very reasonable man that you just don't understand yet. There might be uh, an artificial intelligence, for example, that was way ahead of us, you know, uh, uh, light years ahead of us, and they're controlling everything, or we're in some simulation theory, yeah. or something like that, and we might just be receivers. Now, I try to keep a scientific-based approach to everything, just because, uh, you know, from a kind of politician's point of view, it is simpler and straightforward. And I'm, I'm a pretty much, a, I say I'm an atheist, but I have no idea what's really going on. I think even the, the leading experts in, in some of their fields in physics really are finding out that, wow, um, the, uh, the rabbit hole is actually a hell of a lot deeper than everyone really thought. And so let's just progress forward. But it's absolutely positive that we may find out that we live in a, uh, a simulated universe. I did my senior thesis uh, um, in un at college on brains in a vat, on this idea of simulated uh, uh, a universe. And it, it, there's really no way to argue against it. It's sort of like arguing against the concept of God. You can talk about it all day long, but you can't know either way. And so you have to make a decision or a choice on which direction you go. And you know, as an atheist, I, I made, have made my choice, but that doesn't mean I'm right. It just means that I made my choice. And um, the same thing can be said with being a receiver and whether consciousness is something that is something we all share amongst each other. Uh, maybe we share already with, uh, you know, Mother Earth and, uh, and all the other planets. We might end up just finding we're a big radio antenna. And uh, there was a, big, a greater message and we were just blind to it the entire time. So um, I don't really have an answer for you, but I can tell you that every year we get closer to understanding something, but uh, potentially every year the rabbit hole is still getting deeper as well. And uh, we uh, may learn things, but we may also learn how far away we are from really understanding how incredible this idea of consciousness, memory, um, the personal ego, and, and just who we are and what we are actually is. We might find one day that um, everything was just created directly from us and uh, all our friends, this entire conversation is, is just me speaking to myself. You know, I don't know. It, it, it's incredible to think about. It's just we're just developed so the universe can observe itself. <laughs> totally, totally. It's just a big mirror reflecting off something, and we don't even know. It's just we said this all a long time ago, millions of years ago, and finally it's rebounding back, and here we are saying it again. <laughs> So how about virtual reality? Uh, we had Danny Unger on from Cloudhead Games, and uh, and they're doing some pretty crazy stuff there. My sister now works for them, and and uh, we were talking about virtual reality, and, and it's kind of becoming a game changer. And I've heard you talk about it a little bit before, um, but it's not just gaming, right? This could be changing tourism and education and I mean, we're pretty close to everything shifting really quick as far as VR goes. So have you, that must be a, a fascinating topic in your circles. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I suspect within five to 10 years, we will start spending 10, 15, 20% of our time in VR. Um, I think the, the new Microsoft uh, Halo goggles that are, uh, that are out or 
the holographic goggles that came out. Th those are uh, just a sign of things to come. And I'm actually been working right now with the BBC to try to do something either in the Stanford Virtual Lab or with Oculus Rift on um, testing some things for a TV show that they're doing with some of these products. And the bottom line is virtual reality offers a an experience where we are no longer limited by a lot of the physical things that would bound us to ourselves. And um, I think I like that idea. And even though I know we would still be in the physical world, as long as we're not like able to completely upload our mind where we literally live in a virtual reality and we never need to come back, I still believe that living, uh, experiencing a virtual reality is going to teach us an incredible amount. I mean, who doesn't want to fly like a bird? Who doesn't want to uh, have five arms? You at least experiment with it. Who doesn't want to try a gazillion different things that you can try in virtual reality that you would never do on, uh, you know, on planet Earth when you're just being yourself? So these are the kind of things that virtual reality promises. And I, I assume an entire new educational or philosophical pre uh, kind of ideology will come about from those that experience virtual reality and try different things. Um, just because it's you're going to have a whole new set of experiences that aren't necessarily tied to the five senses. There might be other types of senses that we learn to experience in virtual reality. It, it, it's a it's an unknown you know universe, and it's it, it's we're going to kind of find out a lot. But you know, from a political standpoint and from a kind of a social standpoint, I think it's going to be very useful to be in virtual reality because we'll be able to do business quicker, more efficiently, and uh, we'll be able to experience things in a way that somehow generates some type of um, uh, easier social interaction than we might have when we're kind of both sitting at our desk 2,000 miles away from each other. And, uh, you know, that, that's something I was talking about, and people talk about in virtual reality being able to, like you have, you have your virtual hand and being able to feel what the handshake is like. That's also coming. So this idea that you're going to be not just, you know, it's this image, it's the senses, and then beyond the senses. So I think within five or 10 years, that's going to be a huge part of our existence. Some people are going to completely disappear into that existence because they just don't like living on planet Earth as it is. And that might be a, the, the experience that they really want. But, you know, with it, when you get with 20, 30 years, probably a huge amount might actually end up being in, uh, in virtual reality. Yeah, that and that could uh, help out with the population problem. <laughs> totally. And I've said this before that we'll just put if them people in little start drawers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I've said if people actually upload themselves and live in virtual reality, which probably a much more fascinating reality than we have here, because after all, everything we're limited to here, gravity and basic laws of physics, in virtual reality, you're not going to have. So it really could be a more uh, you know, it could really be a reality that you actually find more to do in and you have more freedoms in. So people might want to stay there forever. And, you know, especially older people, if they're able to upload their mind, like Ray Kurzweil and some of the people at Google are trying to work on, they might choose to live indefinitely like that in bodies that are perfect or in bodies that they create and imagine in robotic bodies, human bodies. Uh, it could be any kind of body. I don't know what it'll be. But, or, that's um, how, or that's how the genesis of the matrix we went willingly yeah we went willing, we went into the vats willingly yeah so of i i think it like i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come out and even just in exercise equipment and stuff like that like occasionally if i'm at the gym i notice those little bike they have the stationary bikes but you actually can play like a game that like the screen on the bike is you're riding through a scenario right and 
VR will make that like you could probably put a little headset on and you're on your little stationary bike riding in, you know, China, the wall of China or all, all places, all, all these courses all over the world. And it'd be like, you're right there. I mean, I, so you, I would definitely get more exercise if I could like explore some crazy <clears throat> part of the world I've never been on, you know, running in the beach in Bali or something. And really you're just running in your gym. No doubt. You know, a, a surf camp in Fiji recently reached out to me and asked me to write an article on their, their surf camp. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty busy. I rarely would do something. I'm a surfer myself. And they said, but we have a special thing, which is why we reached out. We said, <laughs> we offer the wave in virtual reality. So before you even come here, you can test out if it's a wave you want to surf. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, wow, that's incredible. It's the same thing with, you know, tourism. Like you get to go into a hotel, into your room and make sure it's a room that you feel comfortable to spend a few, uh, you know, to spend your two week vacation in. And, uh, ultimately this is the same thing with the surfing camp. You get to surf this wave. So yeah, I mean, this is the future where you get to test out everything way before you do it. You'd probably be able to test out products and test out beds and test out mattress. You know, I mean, the whole world's going to be basically simulated. So you're going to be say, well, yeah, great. I like this car because I virtually drove it first. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, yeah. So I suppose the, like the agenda of the, the transhumanist party isn't more, I mean, it's not really singularity based. It's more in openly embracing, augmenting, augmenting ourselves, I suppose, or, or directing, directing funding and shit into that direction more so. Yeah, no, I would absolutely say that, you know, I don't even mention the word singularity. I got to be honest, like yeah, the yeah. idea of technology accelerating so quickly that I don't even recognize myself and everybody disappearing to this big thing of light. It, it, it sounds a little too weird for me, honestly. Um, I like to think about it from a philosophical point of view, but I never mention it in terms, uh, you know, what we're really interested in is if at some point we could replace our hearts with robotic hearts so we don't have to die of heart disease. Or at some point, if I'm, a, you know, for example, a construction worker and I want to have a robotic arm because I can then lift 500 pounds really easily and finish my job in two hours, that sounds great. Or the same thing with just wearing exoskeleton suits, which is a typical transhumanist technology. There are mountain climbers all over that their own physical bodies aren't enough to, you know, to climb some of the steepest mountains, but the exoskeleton technology is going to allow us to do everything. It's going to allow us to run faster than cheetahs probably within 10 years. So there's, there's an amazing amount of technology out there that will make our lives better. I mean, people are going to be playing tennis with exoskeleton suits soon, and the balls are going to be traveling twice or three times as fast. If, if they allow this type of technology, I've written quite a few times about the transhumanist Olympics, where every single sport is going to be recreated if they allow, uh, you know, for example, powerlifters to use certain types of uh, uh, these kind of neurodrugs that might allow certain moments of adrenaline where you could actually probably bench, you know, or, or, or um, deadlift 2,000 pounds above your head. Um, these are the kind of things that are going to be changing how we see ourselves and how we live our lives. And uh, that's what I try to advocate because I think people can grasp that. People can see an Olympics where a, a you know, a weightlifter can live 2000 pounds over his head, but they, they can't necessarily see the singularity because that's, that's, I don't want to say it's crazy talk. It's probably true. And I mean, the math pans out, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems, yeah, I guess at some point there will be this moment in time when all, you know, uh, the species just accelerates so quickly. But in the meantime, you know, back here in planet earth, 
We're just advocating for using radical technology to make life, you know, more fun, to make it more exciting, where we can kind of surf virtual waves without actually having to leave our home, and we can, wear, you know, run, uh, put on exoskeleton suits so I can run to the grocery store that uh, you know is ten miles away, and I'll do it in a few minutes. I wonder if it'll be like riding a bike, You're like. When you first get your exoskeleton, you get going and just fuck boof. And then you never forget how? Yeah, except when you're drunk, people <laughs> fucking run into each other. <laughs> so, so have you noticed, like, have you noticed the term being kind of hijacked then lately? Because it seems like a lot of people are instantly equating transhumanism and the singularity. Do you notice that at all? Well, <clears throat> what's happened is that until the last few years, I think the idea of the singularity was more popular than the word transhumanism. And mainly because Ray Kurzweil had, had put it forth in his book, The Singularity is Near, which was like a number one bestseller. And really, I think it was the very first book that sort of woke up a, an entire generation of people to say, oh, wow, you know, the, 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 the technology is changing the way we live. And, um, you know, a lot of these people don't support the word transhumanism because when you talk about transhumanism, you're really talking about the end of the human species. And I think that's what scares a huge amount of people. And so it was so much easier to talk about the singularity because it was this far out concept that didn't really talk about eliminating the human species. And when I talk about eliminating, I don't mean eliminating. I mean, the idea of transhumanism is simply saying that the species is no longer really going to be human. It's going to end up being something more machine-like something more cyborg-like, something different. But if you actually had to compare the two together, you would say, wow, this new species has essentially replaced the old species. And as soon as you start talking about terminology like that, people literally freak out, especially in America, where you have an 83% populace that still declares themselves Christian. Huh. You have to be very careful because if you go too fast with the terminology, you scare them. But, you know, transhumanism has slowly been working its uh, way up. My columns, I, I made a point of trying to name my columns with the word transhumanism in them. Uh, the, the psychology to way, today one is called the transhumanist philosopher. The motherboard vice one is the transhumanist future. Huh. The Huffington Post doesn't name columns. But um, it's important because I think the more you get people used to it over a 10, 15-year period, People will grow and say, yeah, well, it's not really replacing the species anymore because we're kind of evolving into that new species. And as soon as you talk about evolving, everyone's okay with it. Huh. It's when you talk about that quick transition, like human replaced by cyborg, then people freak out. But if it's slow, then they're like, okay, you know, I kind of went slowly. I got my, you know, I, it, it's like, uh, you know, doing a big giant dive into cold water. It, it's scary if you have to do it in instantaneously if you have some time to put your toes in and feel around and know what you're getting into i think people can go for it so it, it's all about um how you use the words and trying to make it seem like it's not as big of a deal as it as it perhaps really is i got a, i got an idea why don't you shorten transhumanism and just call it call us thumans <laughs> t-human and then we'll, it'll be a little more softer for all those people we're now thumans well, you know, that's what, you know, so what happened is historically speaking, and I, maybe your audience will enjoy this, is they began the transhumanism movement about 30 years ago. And about 15 years ago, they thought, wow, this word transhuman is really scaring people. Nobody likes it. So they declared themselves humanity plus, um, <laughs> as you know, which is, which is a great way of looking at it, humanity plus something else. 
Um, unfortunately, Google trademarked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> it, it was actually given. It's 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 a free symbol now. But the problem was that whenever we try to make things too, uh, I, I guess, likable, or you try to work around the social mores, they don't always work out. So transhumanism, the word, has had this social. Uh, uh, I guess it's sort of reinvented itself as the primary way to describe what's happening. It's certainly become more popular than singularity in the last two years. I've written an article for Slate about this saying that, you know, while singularity was a great word five years ago, it's not the word people are using anymore to describe this this idea. You know, when you talk about war amputees coming home, um, you find all the major publications using the word transhuman. It's just simpler to, and, and when I talk about war amputees, I'm talking about they come home and they get bionic arms. It's still and, less scary than bionic, probably, I guess, right? Or, or uh, the word that really scares people is cyborg <laughs> because of Star Trek. <laughs> well, you know, that's because like, cyber. Oh, a... That's because they're cyber threats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of – so it's really funny how the words are panning out. And I can tell you PhDs have been written about how the terminology is determining the movement itself. Luckily, transhumanism is emerging as the number one word. I think it's going to win at this point because it's too far gone. It's now used, you know, ubiquitously by everyone and all major media. But um, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because uh, words really do have a, a, a pretty significant impact. And I'm, I'm glad to see the word transhumanism winning. It's a simple word. The Latin is easy, beyond human, and you know, it's it's not too weird. Hmm. So, so you've been thinking about this for a couple of decades now, right? You, you travel, you sailed around the world when you were younger with a bunch of books, reading all this stuff is out when you, did it just stick with you since then? Well, you know, basically, yes, I've been reading about it since I've been about 20, uh, read an article about cryonics, this field where you feel, where you freeze, um, dead yeah. people in hopes to bring them back to life in yeah. 50 or a hundred years. And it just sort of fascinated me. I guess I've always been sort of obsessed with, not wanting to die. Um, and I, I, a lot of my National Geographic stuff was uh, conflict journalism or war, war journalism. So I saw some pretty heavy things, things that are, you know, you would never want anyone else to see, uh, bad things. And um, it made me, it just reinforced this idea that I really didn't want to die, didn't want to become a piece of flesh that was rotting on the side of the road because of something awful. And, um, you know, I sort of dedicated myself to it. And uh, I guess I've been at it now 20 30 years but um it's only really in the last five years since i published my my novel the transhumanist wager which is it, it kind of went on to become this one of the more important books or perhaps one of the most important books of the transhumanist movement and um, has sort of i guess elevated me to a position where i'm a sort of a spokesperson now for the movement itself and um but i have certainly been thinking about it for you know 20 years at least and uh you know, only seeing some of the disasters I've seen in the war zones has reinforced my belief in trying to find a way to overcome human death and to do it through science and technology, not through some type of spiritual um, idea or some type of faith that I really can't prove. So that that uh, revelation of wanting to stay alive must have come after your surfing down the volcanoes uh, phase of your life? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was actually a transhumanist by then. Oh. It, it was very difficult. It was very dangerous to uh, <laughs> surf down this volcano. And your viewers can find it uh, if they just Google Zoltan Ishwan slash volcano boarding slash National Geographic. They can see the actual National Geographic episode on it. Okay. But um, 
it's, it, you know, I, I still want to live and I'm still willing to take chances and I still do crazy things. I, and perhaps I've always been a little crazy. I'm not sure. But, you know, this one was a fun one. And yes, there's lava bombs shooting over you. And that's what makes it dangerous that the lava bombs can hit you and go right through you. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's good to live because when you live and you love life, it makes it reinforces this idea that you want to live indefinitely. So if you're too boring, I don't know if you really want to live indefinitely. So I think, um, you know, I, I would still do crazy things sometimes now um, just because I like to prove to myself that I, I really love life and it, it's really worth living. Hmm. So what's the, uh, like, uh, you've started this political party. What's the, how can people who are listeners who are on board, how, like, how, how can people support? Like, I don't, well, fucking, I wouldn't even know where to begin starting a political party. Well, so, you know, starting a political party has been, I got to be honest, very difficult. Um, I, uh, you, you got to know all these technical things, you know, just to be able to run for the presidency is not just you like declare it and do it. There's a, every single state has a different formula for getting on the state ballot and being on it. So basically, we're trying to spend some money to get on the state ballots. It's we're certainly not going to probably get onto all of them if we get onto even a couple of them. It's it's very difficult when you have to kind of choose where you spend your resources because basically most state ballots require a certain amount of signatures. I think it's sixty thousand in California, and it's tough to get a new party get people signed up for it. So. You know, I formed it. We're doing really good at the media. We're doing a lot of um, interviews and I'm writing a lot of articles, but it's still not like growing virally in the sense that people all around are doing it. And part of the problem is that I think a lot of third or independent parties have kind of a bad flavor in their mouth because, you know, uh, there, there have been some like the Libertarian Party or whatnot that have taken votes away from the major two parties when they wanted another, you know, one of the major candidates to win. So American politics is confusing. That said, you know, we're, we're not necessarily pushing our, we're going to win or I'm going to become president or anything like that. What we're trying to say is how can we get the main political candidates of either the Republican or the Democratic Party to pay attention to the real technological issues at hand? And there are many of them. How is Hillary Clinton or Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush going to deal with artificial intelligence with an, with an intelligence that might be as smart as a human being and potentially 10,000 times smarter. They're not even touching these subjects yet because this is different. How are they going to deal with designer babies when you can have babies that have increased intelligence, only blue eyes, and only this uh, six foot four, each of them? Is that, is that proper? Is that ethical? <laughs> these are questions that a lot of the political candidates don't want to touch, but they're all transhumanist questions. They're all very important questions that we need to deal with because that age is here. I mean, people, the designer baby thing is going to start happening in, in 24 months where you're going to be choosing sex and everything else about your baby. And the politicians, it's so, it's, it's so thorny. And we're trying to, as the transhumanist party, we're trying to get the, the main politicians to talk about it. We're trying to get involved in debates. We're trying to get involved in the publicity that can get them to say, you know what? Um, the transhumanist party is correct. We need to actually, as a country, start dealing with this because bio, the bioethical concerns are massive. And um, so anyways, that's really what our party is about aiming for 2016. Now, of course, by 2020 or 2024, we might actually have uh, a real strong chance of gaining some real voters um, 
in in a, in a presidential race or in other races for other you know offices, just various Congress things. Mm-hmm. So you know we, we'll aim for that. But I think in the next twelve to eighteen months, what you're going to see us trying to do is really get involved in publicity wise and try to get the other candidates to say, you know what, this is too important of a subject to not mention. It's yes, Social Security, welfare, taxes, inequality, that's all important. But yeah, we have some bioethical concerns that are going to change the species coming here in the next five or 10 years. And um, let's talk about that. Let's try to be open and decide what policies might actually work best for Americans. I suppose everything's going to come with a problem. Like, how do you let a person in a hospital die of a heart attack when you've got 50 artificial hearts in the back room? Yeah. Oh, that's exactly right. He didn't have the right insurance. I guess that's kind of happening already. But you're right. Not really to the extent that it could, that that it could, it could, right? I I couldn't agree with you more. It, It is already happening already to a certain extent. When does someone have access to technology? What is the right of their life? Are the are the amount of you know hours that they can live important? I mean, the, I, I tend to look at human beings in terms of their life hours. One of the main things I, I've been trying to push for from a transhumanist perspective is that human beings can live 20, 30, 40 years longer if we would just spend the resources to increase the things that make them live longer. And life hours is very important in terms of productivity, in terms of commerce in terms of consumerism and um it sounds a little bit kind of like cold or selfish or machine like but i think one of the things is that people realize that another human being can live longer they will also contribute to the system contributing to the system has a kind of an effect that makes us continue onward we actually have an interest in keeping everyone alive as long as possible just so that that we can kind of keep building this country strong and um so I've been trying to say that for a long time. I said, you know, when George Bush stopped stem cells for seven or eight years, he was deliberately, or, you know, the, the government was deliberately stealing these life hours from people who could use a lot of these technologies. Not only did America fall behind in stem cell technology, but we're talking about millions of people that may have died earlier because they didn't need to. And this is the kind of things I'm trying to tell people. We need to make it so that our legal system makes it so that America's health America's longevity is priority number one. And if we can do that, I think we can all live a lot longer, a lot better, and continue this system that we have where, um, you know, everyone sort of is a part of it, and uh, except instead of being a a temporary part of it, they become kind of a permanent part of it. And then uh, we get to a point that, like I said, eventually where the transhumanists want to create a a, a utopian society where no one dies, no one has well, well, I guess we'll always have problems. But no one has the major traumas or the major tragedies that we have been experiencing as a species, you know, for uh, hundreds of thousands of years. We can get beyond that point. We can eliminate suffering and we can eliminate all the trials of life to a point that we actually are happy human beings and uh, prolific human beings and able to discover the worlds that, uh, you know, that await us through science and technology. Hmm. It's going to be a challenge. I mean, imagine, imagine if you, it did get to, uh, closer to that goal and you have to deal with the the money and the politics and the corruption and big pharma, you know, basically, I wonder if you that, know, using the technology to make all these, you know, prescription drugs are actually killing more people than illegal drugs. Right. It's, it's, it's a create, it's going to be a, a huge challenge when you have to deal with technology in that respect. I wonder if you'll have like 
work till you're 110 <laughs> and 60 year yeah. mortgages. Yeah. <laughs> you can, that's what they could do. They can just <laughs> give people longer mortgages. That'll sell transhumanism. Just get the banksters <laughs> well, to lend you like a hundred year mortgages. Well, and you're right. And the, these are some of the things that I think uh, are so interesting. You know, the idea of beauty, think about it. If you can reverse aging, you know, and you have people that always remain beautiful, even that changes the entire cycle of things. Um, will people want to get married if we live indefinitely? Will they want to have kids? Maybe they'll want to have 20 careers be they, before they have kids at all. You know, so the entire structure of society is literally on the verge of changing so dramatically because of science and technology. And, um, and that's really where the transhumanist party comes in. We're just trying to lead the conversation and say, uh, you know, politicians can pretend that this stuff isn't happening, but this stuff is uh, is about to happen. It's already happening, and it's going to very much change the structure of uh, of all societies on the planet. And uh, you know, the quicker we get ahead of it and we start discussing and discuss, you know, and talking about who we want to be as a people, the better we're going to be for it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I like the I like the uh, concept and the, and the way you're going about it. So, so I don't want to keep you on for too long here. Uh, what else would you like to uh, to tell our listeners? Uh, we should probably start uh, letting you go here. Well, sure. Yeah, thanks. No, I, I'm just, I'm stoked that you uh, you guys had me on and we had a chance to discuss transhumanism. And if your listeners have uh, any questions, um, they're always welcome to email me. I, I still try to email everyone back, though. It, it's gotten a little bit uh, tough, but I still do that. <laughs> um and they can find out more information about the Transhumanist Party just by going to transhumanistparty.org. Um, I've written a book. It's a, it's an epic on transhumanism. It's pretty crazy and it's pretty uh, a little bit dark even. Um, but, you know, it really is an epic on transhumanism. It's called The Transhumanist Wager, and you can find it on, on Amazon. I just actually announced some very happy news I had today. Um, I sold the Korean rights to my novel, The Transhumanist Wager. It's the first international uh, book deal I've had. And so uh, by, nice. I guess, nine, 10 months from now, thank you, nine, 10 months from now, there's going to be a hardback uh, bound copy in the Korean language. And, you know, it's just nice to see that uh, other countries are starting to kind of embrace the idea of transhumanism. It's one with a major publisher in Korea. And so, uh, you know, they, they're interested and they want to see if it sells. And I'm stoked on it. So yeah, check out my uh, my novel, uh, The Transhumanist Wager. And how, um, how about audio? You gonna put it on audio at all? Have you thought about that? Uh, you know, I had such great plans put on audio. I wanted to do it myself. I wanted oh, to read yeah. it. But the the problem is that it it's it's a it's a pretty long book, and um, it takes a long time. And I haven't done it yet, so I apologize. I can't even tell you if it's uh, if it's going to happen soon. I'm a little bit discussing negotiations with some American publishers that might also pick up the book. Therefore they would then have someone do it. Yeah. I, I published my book as an indie book and it's, um, you uh, know, it, luckily the book as an indie book has done incredibly well. It was a bestseller in philosophy for a while and stuff like that. So uh, hmm. I, I, I'm hoping the book will still, is still going to take off, especially with my presidential campaign. It's sort of the book I, I have behind me though. It's a, uh, it's a pretty controversial, so I don't know if it's a it's a good book for that. Yeah. But anyways, it's it's an interesting read, and it'll tell you all about the transhumanist movement and all about the dilemmas and uh, and stuff like that. And I think if uh, I also write a number of uh, columns, so if your listeners are interested, just check it out. Google uh, my name, and you'll be led to my columns. Uh, the Huffington Post is where I do most of my writing, and uh, I try to write some uh, pretty weird stuff. Good, yeah, that's great. We'll link to all that in the show notes. 
And yeah, we wa- it's been a, a fascinating chat, and uh, we want to thank you for coming on and wish you all the best in your new political career. Yeah, and you got to come back if you ever become president. Yeah. Oh, I, I will. I will absolutely come back. I, yeah. I don't know if it'll happen this time along, but like I said, by 2020, I'm hoping our party will actually have some real uh, some real juice behind it. I mean, we're already doing pretty interesting stuff, but... Uh, you know, it's really a matter of getting membership and, uh, and and increasing visibility and stuff like that. But I think uh, the more technology catches up with the human race, the more it's going to need a party that has some some interesting ideas about how this stuff is unfolding. But I would love to come back sometime. Yeah, by then he'll be just coming back as a hologram in our igloo here. We can just <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll send my virtual self. space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, then thanks. It'll be a real igloo. Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll link to all this in the show notes, and we'll uh, we'll send you a copy. Absolutely, please do so, and I'll definitely share it in my social media. Hey, thanks so much for having me on tonight. You guys have yourself a, a great night. I thanks, appreciate it. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. That was our chat with with uh, Zoltan Istvan. Yeah, that was a good one. I went into it a little uh, a little skeptical. Uh, skeptical of what? Just the whole transhumanist party and that. So oh. It comes off like they got to come up with a better name because it's kind of scary. No, but that's the one he's he's the, that's the one they've sort of chosen to go with, right? And I, I agree with why he's he's kind of stuck with that, right? You don't want to go with some of those like you know. You know, what is it? He was saying singularities out, and there's a bunch of other things, and transhumanism's the way to go. Yeah, I guess. Kind of, kind of, it kind of sounds a bit too much like gen- transgender or something. Like. Well, no, and not only that, it's like transforming from human. Yeah. You know, that mm. seems like bad marketing. But you can't be like cyborgism or anything like that, or and all those other ones are way too fucking Star Trekky or Battlestar Galacticy. Technological Terrians. Yeah, there probably could be another name that would be better, but it'd be hard to get it into the consciousness, right? Yeah. You kind of got to stick with what's there right now. It was good, though. It was a fun one. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's had a, just a world it makes of experience, sense. eh? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, technology is going to really help us, I think. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm one that has a glass-half-full view of the technological future. I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> You have a glass half full view of life, buddy. That's good. That's a good trait to have. Thanks, buddy. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I, I, I Guys like him are fascinating. They've been through so much in their life. You know, the guy was sailing around the world when he was 20 and learning about all this stuff, and then he's been through all kinds of other stuff. It's just, uh, I like that, you know, the life experience part, and guys are following their path after, after all that. Yeah. End up where you're supposed to, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so big thanks to Zoltan for coming on. Um, of course, we always appreciate it when you support the show. Uh, grandamerica.ca slash support. I think the old Money Bomb link's still active too. But uh, Anyway, that's basically our value for value model. We don't do any ads on the website or the, the podcast. It's all 100% ad-free, sponsor-free. 
uh, listener supported. So uh, we have a few subscribers, a bunch of different subscription options, uh, a bunch of different ways to donate the show. The, the the easiest of which is just to tell your friends about the show. Yeah, and thanks for all your feedback. And uh, I love hearing your synchronicities and your trip reports. And your UFO sightings or lucid dreams or anything crazy like that, we'll try and read about on the show. I try to respond to everybody, but it's uh, it's hard and some of them slip through the cracks. So thanks for your feedback, especially. Um, always love the feedback and it helps on iTunes. We were up on the front page in American iTunes there for a while there, Darren. I, and I think that's because of all those reviews. So helping uh, putting reviews on iTunes helps the algorithms and helps bring us uh, a little bit more uh, forward in the search. And then we get more listeners and then we can get better guests not that you know we're not that there's a competition among our guests but it just gives us more clout of course to to keep this going yeah so always review the show where you can uh subscribe to the newsletter grammarica.ca slash news justin puts a lot of work into that and now he's doing reminders on live feeds uh so yeah sign up there if you already signed up sign up your friends uh i think that's about it yeah, leave something? a voicemail yeah at the website grammarica.ca yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Um, thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week. Ciao. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it.